Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're going to be looking just at the beginning parts of verses uh, 4 through 8 this morning. We will come back to that next week uh, also. And, but it really all fits into a, 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 cha- or a section from verse 1 to verse 11. For the Apostle Paul is really making six bold affirmations about the security of the believer. I love that a lot of the songs this morning that we sang talked about our security in Christ. A lot of the hymns that we sang talked about how we are, we are kept by Him, we are protected by Him. We, we, we sing sometimes, He will hold me fast. And the idea of that song is that, that it's not up to us to hold on to Him because He is always holding on to us, we who belong to Him. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul says, I want you to understand there's a lot of things you need to grasp to understand how secure you really are in Christ. Now, over the last two weeks, Pastor Todd and I have dealt with the first three of those in verses 1 through two, one and 2. And then in verse 3, it picks up with, with the next one, if you will, the, uh, the fourth affirmation of being secure in Christ. But what I want to do to begin this morning is I want to read the first 11 verses together as a unit. We've only read one and two the last few weeks. And I want us to look at all 11 verses. We won't look at all of them today. I won't even point out all the, the points in there today. But I want you to hear it in its entirety as we think about the security of the believer again this morning, what it means to have peace with God, what it means to be justified and may right with God. So hear the word of the Lord this morning from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have, obtained, uh, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. But while we were still weak, just at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die, even to die. But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we now have been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The Apostle Paul carries that theme of reconciliation or peace with God throughout this entire section, these 11 verses. And it's very important to grasp that as you see it. It's also very important to realize that Paul is always continuously referring back. He's continuously saying because of that. In in verse 1, As we talked about two weeks ago, he starts that verse by saying, therefore. And saying, therefore, he's talking about all that he's talked about before that, about what it means to be saved by justification, by faith alone. 
that the only way we stand righteous in the presence of God is not in our own righteousness because that is faulty, not in our own goodness because we don't have any, not in our own deeds because those deeds are usually done from ulterior motives if they're not done in Christ and done by faith. And so he says, therefore, you must understand that you are justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, by the grace of God alone. And when you grasp that, Paul says, I want you to know there's some great things that happen in your life. First of all, you have peace with God. He says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not apart from Christ. It's not any other way than in Christ. But the first thing we have as believers that should give us security is peace with God. Now that peace with God will drive us to His Word. That peace with God will always cause us to look to Him and pursue Him and desire Him above everything else. Paul says, I want you to understand that until you have peace with God, you'll never have the peace of God. And you'll get to that later on in this book. But he wants you to realize until there is that, uh, that objective declaration by God that we are now at peace, we are no longer at enmity with one another, can you have the peace of God in your daily experiences, in your daily life? Paul says, I want you to know that the believer, the one who is truly in Christ, has peace with God. The war is over. The victory has been won by Christ in our life to reestablish that reconciliation with God that needed to come. So the first bold affirmation is we have peace with God. In, in Paul's day, people wondered if they could ever have peace with God. They tried every way in the world. They tried moralism. They tried religiosity. They tried it all. They tried doing rituals. They tried doing rites. They tried doing all this stuff. And none of them were ever right with God. And Paul said, I want you to understand the reason you're not right with God, the reason you don't have peace with God is because you've not come to His Son. There, there's no other way. Religion will never do it. So Paul says you, can, you have peace with God. Second thing he said, and, and Pastor Todd dealt with this last week, he said we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. That, that first affirmation, peace with God, is the, the immediate effect of our justification. This second uh, idea, the second affirmation Paul makes, is really the continuing effect of our justification. We now have peace with God in this grace, and we, we obtain access by faith into this grace. We know this grace of God that is the continuing effect of our justification. He said, not only do we have grace that came once, but it's grace in which we stand. It's grace for every day. It's knowing the grace of God at work in our life in every circumstance, in every situation that we find ourselves in. Paul says, I want you to know that there's that objective peace with God that comes with justification, but there's also this grace that gives you the strength to walk every day in life, and it's a continuing effect of your justification. Your justification is not something that just gets you into heaven. Your justification is something that gets you right with God, gets you into heaven, yes, but it also is something that gives you the, the necessary tools, if you will, to live this life no matter what comes your way, no matter what disaster comes, no matter what hurt comes, no matter what sickness comes. This grace of God is something that we stand in and we stand firm in, Paul says. Third thing he says, we hope and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's the ultimate effect of our justification. 
The, the immediate effect is peace with God. The continued effect is standing in His grace. And the ultimate effect is the glory of God. Knowing the glory of God in our own life. Yes, in this world now, but seeing His glory in heaven one day. Jesus said to the disciples, don't fear, don't worry, I'm going away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I go, there you may one day also be. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again, this is Haynes' paraphrase, I'll come again and get you and I'll take you there in the very presence of Almighty God, in the very, in the very presence of the glory of God. We sing of His glory, we, we talk about His glory, we we, we desire that he be glorified in our lives and in this world. But one day, Paul says, I want you to know that we are hoping, we are rejoicing in the hope that we will one day see the glory of God in all of its beauty, in all of its magnificence, and, and it'll just be almost more than we can, can, can stand. It'll be so great. But we rejoice in that. We know that it's coming. We may not sense it entirely right now we may not know it 100 percent right now but we know that it is coming and we rejoice in that paul loves this word rejoice you're, you're studying in the adult sunday school classes the book of philippians and all through philippians he talks about joy and rejoicing and rejoicing always and be, but he loves it in romans too he said we're looking at christ and we're looking at what christ has done in our lives and that causes us to rejoice no matter what comes our way but then he gets to the fourth bold affirmation, and it's one that many people wish he had just never said. They wish it just wasn't a reality. It's found there in verse 3. Not only that, and notice again there, verse 1, he said, therefore, back to that, Paul says, not only peace with God, not only standing in grace, not only the hope of the glory of God, not only that, we also rejoice in our sufferings. We also rejoice in our sufferings. Now, a lot of us tend to look at that and say, sufferings, yeah, boy, I have a lot of those. We, we probably at the uh, Philadelphia airport and then the other airports, we had the joy of sitting in Charlotte and other things, planes being canceled and, and time being eaten up. and thinking about, we, we probably sat there and thought, boy, are we not suffering for the Lord. No, we were inconvenienced for the Lord, but we weren't suffering for the Lord. Uh, you know, we, we probably look, and I want to tell you, I, I, the team I had was magnificent in the midst of that. They really did show uh, a lot of patience and a lot of peace and a lot of presence of Christ because uh, tempers could have gotten up and frustrations could have taken over and everything, but they handled it like troopers. Uh, I mentioned my Grace Notes article, especially the young people that were on the trip. I, I was amazed. They just kept right on going and just like, okay, what, what's next? That's all right. Let's do it. I mean, Christ was obviously working in us to, to test our patience and to build patience. I never pray for patience because God gives you things like that to, to give it without asking him for it. But if you ask him, he'll give you more maybe. So I, we, just, we just endured it. But that was not what Paul's talking about here. We all said, but, but boy, we were suffering. We were, we were really going through some tough times. Paul says, no, I want you to understand we should rejoice in our sufferings. And the word he uses there for sufferings is a word that literally means pressure, opposition. It, it's, it's something that's going to take place in the life of every believer if they are walking with Christ. 
It's something that's going to come from the world. It's going to be a pressure from the world to try to get us to back away. And, and sometimes it works. But Paul says you rejoice in those because those sufferings are going to build in you something that could not be built there any other way. Those sufferings are going to do something in your life that, that you would not get if you did not have them. And, and, and sadly, we Americans tend to, be, uh, tend to be the type of people that just say, you know, man, if they're going to oppose me, I'm just going to turn and walk away. I'll give a little confession here. Good for the soul, bad for the reputation, I realize. But on our trip, we were sitting in the, uh, where were we? Charlotte Airport. And, and we, had, we were sitting back to back with some rows, and there were some people behind us, and they were wanting to get to Louisville really bad. They, they wanted to get to Louisville because they were... Uh, we're going to Churchill Downs to go to the races on uh, Saturday, uh, Friday, Saturday night. It's all run together. And, uh, and this, they'd evidently been enjoying some things in the, some other Kentucky stuff in the Charlotte airport before they uh, got out to the gate. But, but this one woman was just furious that they were not letting her get to Churchill Downs. She had to be there by 6 o'clock. She just had to be there by 6 o'clock. I found out later I didn't get on that plane. That's another whole story I'll tell you some other time. But uh, after she got on the plane, I was told she was trying to offer the pilot money if he would get her there in time to be at the 6 o'clock race. And she kept talking back and forth to this guy that was with her and a couple of people were there. And she comes in, I just got to get there. I, I just got to get some gambling. I got to go. I just got to gamble tonight. I got to get there and put some money on the horses. And besides, my horse is running at 6 o'clock. She didn't own the horse just her favorite horse, and she said, my horse is running at 6 o'clock, I've got to get there, and um, we were talking, a little, I was listening to him a little bit, and finally the guy turned around to me, I don't know why he turned around to me, but uh, Chloe and Kelsey and some of the others were standing there, and they're rather tall young ladies, and he asked me, how they said, are y'all, and they knew they were with me, and us that were sitting over, they said, are, are y'all a volleyball team? I said, no, why do you ask? I said, well, you got some tall girls. And I just thought y'all must be a volleyball team. And I said, no, we've actually been on a mission trip working with a church plant that we are, are partners with in, uh, in Quebec, Canada. And we're on our way back, and we're trying to get back to Louisville to drive back to Somerset. And uh, uh, church group, basically, you know, whatever. And so uh, a few minutes later, I was sitting, I was back reading uh, something I had in my hand reading, and uh, and the lady turned around to me and she said, did you say church group? That was a great opportunity to share the gospel. But I was so disgusted with her, I didn't do it. <laughs> Sin on my part, I realized. But I was tired and, and, I thought, and she just had this disdain in her mouth and in her attitude. Church group? Did you say church group? What are you doing here? This is for racing, horse racing, and getting to Louisville and everything. Should have taken the time to share the gospel with her, uh, but I didn't. But that's a little bit of pressure. That was light pressure. It's nothing like what other people that we met who were believers even in, in Sherbrooke. Uh, we met one, you saw the, their pictures up here that we went to their home to pray that were refugees from the uh, Republic of Central Africa. And they came because of war there, civil war there. 
and they saw their, some of their family murdered. And one night, they just literally grabbed their passport and the clothes on their back, and they escaped and got out of there and, and, and left in order to, to be secure and got to Canada as political refugees. Could not speak English, but worse than that, they could not speak French. They, they only spoke their native tongue of, uh, of Central Africa. I don't even know what the tongue is called. I was told. I can't remember, but, but that's not important. But we went in their home to pray for them. They had met Mira, who is John Mark's wife, whose home is in the Republic of Central Africa. And uh, they met somewhere, and they started coming to church there. They don't understand a word of what's going on. They don't have an interpreter for that language from French in their church service as I had the privilege of having an interpreter for the, from English into French when I preached there that night. But, but we went into their home, we prayed. And we talked a while, and they tell, told us a little bit of their story, and, and Mira translated it for us, and, and a precious couple, precious couple. And finally we got ready to pray, and, and Mira, I asked Mira, I said, are you going to, because we're going to pray around, so are you going to translate for them what we're praying? And so she looked at him, and she said, uh, do you want us to, do you want me to translate their prayers? And he looked at her and said, blah, whatever he said in his language, I can understand, but he went, uh, uh, like that. And I knew he said, it's not for me, it's for him. He'll understand. These people had gone through immense pressure because of their faith in Christ and had to flee their homeland because they were simply believers. They were, they were Christians and, and, and it was beginning to be overrun by, by the Islamics and, and and they press them out. I mean, it just, you go, you go on and on. Well, that's what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about delayed airplanes and, and, and canceled flights. And he's not talking about, you know, just having to, to not have the right food or exactly what we want to eat when we want to eat it. He's talking about real pressure from the world. And he says, rejoice. We rejoice in our sufferings we rejoice in our sufferings why in the world we rejoice in our sufferings that that doesn't make sense to the american mind why would we rejoice in suffering well paul is basically saying here here's a bold affirmation of being uh, of your security when you have peace with god Here's what you need to know. You are going to suffer because of your faith. Again, I realize the American culture is, hey, if God really loves us, we'd never suffer. If God really loves us, no one would ever oppose us. If God really loves us, we'll have it very easy and very light, and, and we'll just be happy as we can be all the time. If God really loves us, and we really are His, He'll just give us heaven on earth. And heaven on earth will include no suffering at all. Paul says, no, it just doesn't work that way. Matter of fact, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you know, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Don't be surprised when they won't listen to you. If they listen to me, they will listen to you. But if they rejected me and hated me, they will hate you. 
There's no middle ground where we say, well, we'll be, we'll be religious on Sunday and we'll go through the motions on Sunday and then we will just kind of go along with the world during the week so that there'll be no friction and we'll come back and say we're Christians again the next Sunday. Paul says, I want you to understand that if you are truly a Christian and you are living out your faith and, and you are seeing the glory of God and you're seeing and experiencing the peace of God and peace with God in your life and you're, you're looking to His glory and you're standing in His grace, continuously I want you to know you will suffer there's not a middle ground there's not a safety valve there's not something that that somehow we can say but but God I mean you know we we've come to you why don't you make it better now there are a lot of people preaching that out there that that's just that way you know, if you come to, and you know, I used to, I think back to some of the evangelism that I did when I was in college and beyond, and I'd share with people and say, you know, you need to, you need to trust Christ, you need to come to Christ, because when you come to Christ, all your problems will be solved. Well, your biggest ones are, that's your alienation from God and your, your, your rebe- rebellion against God, that's very true, but I, it's always presented that, man, if you come to Christ, you, you're just going to have it made easy. From now on out. And that's so contrary to Scripture. We rejoice as believers even in our sufferings, even in the pressure that comes, our tribulations. Hebrews chapter 12, the writer there talks about, after talking about that great hall of faith in chapter 11, He points to Christ and said, he suffered. He was the perfect son of God. He was was without any sin. He he had no reason to suffer. But he suffered in this life. And he counted it all joy as he looked to the cross. He counted it all joy as he thought about the suffering he was going to endure for your sake and for my sake and for the sake of the glory of God. I mean, suffering is a part of justification by faith alone just as much as peace with God is. Because as I said in that clip that Michael used out of the, uh, the sermon at Sherbrooke, you know, when, when we know the peace of God, when we know the right, right relationship with God, it does deep heart surgery. It changes our attitude toward everything. It doesn't make us better people. I, I, again, these conversations at the airport keep popping back up. Yesterday in, in, Pitt, in uh, Charlotte, I was sitting there and, and what, talking to one guy and kind of sharing with him. And uh, he, he said, uh, well, well, Pastor Bill, it's, it's just good. Keep up the good work trying to help people be better. And I kind of grinned at him. I said, that's not what I'm trying to do. And he said, sure it is. You're trying to help people be better in this world. I said, no, sir, I'm not. I'm trying to just point them to Christ, who is their only hope for righteousness. Their only hope for betterness. And it's not just trying to be better. You know, the, the, the work of Christ is deep heart surgery. And to come to Christ and to believe in Christ To know this justification by faith. That faith is not just, as we said two weeks ago, some intellectual assent. 
It's not just saying, yes, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. James makes a bold affirmation about that. He says, so do the demons in hell, and they tremble. But they're not saved. They're not right with God. They're not justified. It's, it's not just an intellectual assent. It's not just saying, I believe something with my head. It's something that changes your whole heart. It's something that changes your whole life. It's deep heart surgery that comes by the grace of Almighty God. Paul says one of the ways you want to know that you have strong security in Christ, you want to, you want one way to know that, that you really are in Him and you're experiencing that security, it's because pressures will come to leave that. Pressures will come to deny that. Pressures will come to cause you to turn away from it. And we're going to look at all that, what those pressures do next week. But, but pressures will come. But what I want, to, I want you to see today as we come to this Lord's table, it's the greatest tribulation in all the world, the greatest suffering in all the world, is pictured at this table. The suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who knew no sin, who became sin on our behalf, that he might take our sin on himself. He became sin in order that we might become the very righteousness of God. We who had no righteousness became the righteousness of God. He who had no sin became sin. I mean, that, that great exchange that takes place at the cross that this table illustrates visibly through the bread and the fruit of the vine must be grasped. That's why Jesus said, do this often. Come to this table often. Some say, well, we come to the table and it just becomes routine, you know. We just, we just sit there and we, we take the bread and we take the, the, the juice and we eat it, we drink it, and we leave. Well, if you do that, shame on you. If you do that, you're not comprehending the, the gravity and the depth and the seriousness of this table. This table is to remind us of the sacrifice and the substitution of the Lord Jesus Christ. This table is to remind us that we are not our own, but we, if we are in Christ, we have been bought with a price. This meal, this bread, this, this juice, this fruit of the vine is to remind us that, that He has done a work that is so radical and so deep in our lives that, that nothing else really matters. Wealth doesn't matter. Fame doesn't matter. He has paid a price and given us. He's paid a price for us and given us something that we could never have paid a price for. And that's the glory of this table. And that's why only believers ought to take of it. An unbeliever should think about what it means, but they should not take that bread in their hand and that, that cup in their hand and, and partake of it by eating and drinking of it because this is, this is symbolic, this is picturesque of the, the body and the blood of Christ. It doesn't become the body and the blood, but it shows us the body, the body that's given, the blood that is spilled. We sang about it this morning. The choir sang about it. It was given for us. The greatest suffering that ever took place was our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. 
But it shows us that our calling is also to share in those sufferings. Paul said to the Philippians, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. We think about fellowship, we think about something that's joyous, don't we? We think about fellowship, we think about coming together and having some food and conversation and maybe playing some games. This is no game. Paul says, I want, to, I, want to, I want to partake in the sufferings. I want to share in the sufferings of Christ. That's how I know him better. To know him in the power of his resurrection, his resurrection power in my life, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Suffering together as the body. Weeping when a fellow Believer weeps and rejoicing when a fellow believer rejoices. But sharing in what Christ has done every day. Paul says there is something that is an affirmation of your justification that you may not think about often, but a, an affirmation of it is that you, we're going to rejoice in our sufferings. And that's going to lead to a lot of other things in our life, but we'll get to that next week. Now we come to the table. If you're here this morning, you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've trusted Him. You're baptized. You're in a good standing with your church, but you're here visiting today. I invite you to participate in this, this with us. If you're not a believer, I just ask you to think about what Christ has done and the call of God upon your life. Pray the Holy Spirit will show you that grace and, 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 and lead you to that faith, even this morning come to this table would you bow together with me and as those who are going to serve this meal will come and prepare for it and I want you to think about This bread, his body, hanging on a cross. This juice, his blood of the new covenant poured out for you. And I want you to just praise him for it. Thank him for it. Rejoice in his sufferings, that we may learn to rejoice in our sufferings. And the scripture says we should examine ourselves. Pray with the, with, with the psalmist David. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any unfruitful or unrighteous way within me, any sin that's there, and cleanse me of it and lead me in your everlasting way. Lead me in your will. Make that your prayer this morning as we prepare to serve these elements.
Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them and said, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Scripture said on that night he took the bread and he broke it and he passed it among them. He took the cup and 
passed it among them after praying this God's blessing, saying, this bread is my body, which is given for you. This, this cup is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you that you may know God and have a relationship with the living God. What a glorious truth that you can have peace with God where you once were in sin and in rebellion and at enmity with him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this bread and for this cup. We thank you, Lord, that it is not magical, it's not mystical, but it points us to the reality of your work. And I thank you for that. Father, as we eat of this bread, let us remember the sacrifice, the gift from you on that cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, as we drink of this cup, let us remember that we are cleansed by your blood, by Christ's blood. We are made clean and we are imputed with the righteousness of Almighty God, the righteousness of Christ. For that we are thankful. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings, for your protection, for your security in Christ, sealed by the Holy Spirit to the glory of God. For we pray in Jesus' name. He said, this is my body, take and eat it and do this in remembrance of me. And then he said, this, this cup, this cup is the blood of the new covenant. If you haven't read Jeremiah 31 or Hebrews chapter 8 in a while, I encourage you this week, read about the new covenant, what that means to everyone who is in Christ, and it is sealed by this blood. He said, take this cup and drink it and do this in remembrance.